clock's back? Well, that just gives us an extra hour to rock and roll. Oh, yeah, that's because we are the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, and you know I'm always joined by my good friend, Chris Sinzak. How's it going? It's going great. Happy birthday. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday to you. Another year closer to death. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) When you get to our age, it's like, oh, birthday, wonderful. Yeah. Why? I get to feel older. Yay. Uh No, but thank you very much. I appreciate it. That's cool, man. It's well, tough being 29. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I again. know it is. Yep. Always. <laughs> yep. Every year. It's the same. <laughs> yep. I'll never be 30. <clears throat> oh, man. So, today. Yeah, this is a cool one because uh, it kind of came out of the blue. Yeah. I actually set up an interview. Can you mm-hmm. believe it? You've done a few. couple. They yeah. usually don't turn out, but I got a good feeling about today. Yeah, me too. Like, normally I set up an interview things don't work out and i go that i'm not doing this no more but this one today i got a good feeling yeah. because we're going to be talking to a guy we both respect quite a bit mm-hmm. a guy that has played in bands with three of the greatest guitar players of all time george lynch ace fraley and jakey e. lee that's right it's going to be an interesting conversation today as we break it all down with anthony esposito yeah i'm excited yeah me too so before we get to all that you know us we got to take care of our business and what's our business you know that too it's reviews reviews and recommendations and we got two sweet ones here today let's start out with an apple podcast review look at that one two three four five stars yes and it's entitled a candle in the musical darkness foreboding let's see what it says the wasteland of pop music could easily lead one to despair before discovering the miracle of podcasts there were times that I felt I needed a musical support group just to shed the feeling that no one else still worshipped at the altar of guitar, bass and drums then I saw a light in the distant window I approached the cottage with caution as being lost in the wilderness of mindless auto-tuned pop can make one mistrustful and paranoid. But when I heard the music inside, I abandoned my fears and flung myself headlong into the joy inside. I stumbled across the sanctuary of Decibel Geek. There were others. The world still had hope. Rock and roll lived. Enough with the theatrics. Great rock and roll, past and present, is still among us. And there are plenty of guides to help you along the journey. Every episode of Decibel Geek brings me something new. Whether it's a band that has escaped my attention, or details from my favorite music of the past that brings me new appreciation for the art. Thank you, gentlemen. Your work is much appreciated. Keep that flag flying high. The world is listening. Robin the Hood, in the hood. Yep, Rod, Rob shares our episodes on uh, Twitter every week. From right here in the good old USA, we appreciate that very much. We love Rob. I was uh, I was hearing the uh, flugelhorn from the Elder a little uh, bit when, when you were reading the early part of that review. Yeah, me too. I was feeling some, some Elder magic in that. We've got the light in our eyes. Of true champions. We're true champions. Says so right in our podcast reviews. Thank Great. you, Rob. Great review. As hard as that one's going to be to top, we also have a Facebook recommendation. Comes to us from Darren Hunt. Hey, I know Darren. Yeah, we both do. We run into him at rock and roll shows here in Nashville quite often. And I believe he he drives down from Kentucky for most of those shows. He's a real he's a real road warrior for, and a for shows. Super cool guy. Great guy. Awesome. Let's see what Darren's got to say. He says, "I got to give it up to Chris and Aaron. They have a really great show." 
and I was hesitant to give podcasts a chance, but I finally did. And these guys were my first listen. Oh, boy, we broke them in. I've been a listener for a few years now and have even branched out to a few other podcasts. But these guys, these are my dudes right here. Consistently great music, consistently great content. They know their stuff. If you haven't checked out the show, you should. Well, thank you, Darren. That's awesome. Yeah, Darren's a super cool guy. I always enjoy seeing him whenever we run into him. And, man, what a great review. And what a great feeling to know that we infected his brain with the magic of podcasts. It's also, it almost comes feels miraculous sometimes when people we actually know go, hey, I listened to the show. I'm like, finally, <laughs> thank you. Well, I suppose we were probably <laughs> at one of those shows, and he heard us talking about it, talking about it. And he's like, oh, I guess these guys seem pretty nice. Maybe I, I should give them a pity listen. Oh wait, this is actually pretty fun. But I still have other friends. I got friends that I grew up with haven't listened to the damn show one time. Yeah, I don't know what I have to do. Not, uh, I guess they hear enough of my ass when I'm talking in right. normal, real We've life. We had a lifetime of listening to you talk about Kiss, Chris. We don't yeah. want to spend any more time doing it. But I know one of my friends that I grew up with. Uh, I was always the one in our group who would I would buy Metal Edge. Yeah, and I would look at whose tours were being announced, who had albums coming out, and I knew all my friends' favorites. So I was always the guy going, "Oh, you like Tool? There's a new Tool album coming out on this date. Nice. There's a new Tool, you know, new Deftones on this date." I hung out with that crowd at the time. You were like a human podcast. I kind of was. With so all the microphones and all that stuff. It, it didn't surprise any of my friends that I wound up doing this. Nice. So, yeah. Right on. Yeah, I would imagine about the same for me too. But uh, you people that listen are a lot more receptive than they were like oh yeah whatever yeah we'll check it out pass that joint we'll get back to you (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome man all right we had a lot of fun last week too we did that was a great show yeah i really enjoyed that it was a good time you know it was easy for us to do the watch along and man that video is so awesome i've been sharing that with all Mm -hmm. kinds of people that i know are kiss fans saying you got to check this out and so far the response from everybody that's been man thanks for telling me about that that's super cool yeah it's Andrew did an amazing job. I'm looking oh, yeah. forward to the to the next stuff he does. Uh, I did also uh, notice that some bastard on uh, Facebook has already ripped it and trying to make it into a bootleg DVD and make Golly. money on it. So, but how can you really do that in this day and age? What are you going to do? Sell it in Antarctica? I don't know. They don't have internet. There's still people that buy them though. They want them for the collection, and uh, Andrew's going after them. So no, hope, should. hopefully the guy gets shut down because that's not right. No, because no. Andrew went out of his way to tell all of us, you know, that's exactly what he don't want for right. it. And so some jerk's going to go ahead and just do it. Yeah, not cool. just to be a jerk. So our uh, favorite people, Geeks of the Week this week, people on share on Facebook, retweeted on Twitter last week's Greatest Show on Earth episode. Geeks of the Week this week are Kristen Schimbeck, Kevin Williams, and Obscuria Podcast. Kevin's new podcast. Yes. He's now guys, in the game. You guys remember Kevin Williams, especially everybody remembers him from the uh, Japanese, Japanese Visual K show mm-hmm. we did together and how awesome he was. Well, now Kevin's doing his very own show, so you got to check it out. It's in Obscuria Podcast. It's on Apple, everywhere else you get yep. your podcasts at. Do yourselves a favor and check it out because he's just getting started. Get on over, like his page on Facebook, and yeah, yeah get in on that. You know, you know Kevin Williams, you love him, and you're going to love his show too. And he goes, uh, he goes underground on a lot of his song picks. Yeah, way underground. Get the joke. No, kiss me, it's a phantom. Ah, uh, uh, all right. <laughs> Back to geeks of the week. Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, Todd Rogers, Cobras and Fire Rock Podcast, Ray Coon, Scott Crouch, David Cathy, Brad Schick, Dan Nation, Ken J. West, 
Nate Atchison, David Glenn, Andrew Scambatti, Greg Troyan, Aaron Baker, Jay Shabluski, Jeffrey Mendenhall, Mike Parnell, Adam Cox, Darren Parkin, Simon Cat, Mikhail Burrell, Mark Alden Taylor, Freeform Rock Podcast, Shane Aber, Otto Erlen Gregerson, Christopher Stokes, Andy LaFon, Warren Edward, LaRue Baker, Trevor McDougal, CGCM Podcast, Rob Harris, JJ Mack, Tom Smoke, Jeff Taylor, Eladio, and as always, the Mooger Fooger. Oh, yeah. Those are our people, our good friends that shared and retweeted last week's episode. You want to become an honorary geek of the week? All you got to do is the same thing with our episode here today, our yep. conversation with Anthony Esposito. Yep. Share that, retweet it, and you will become an honorary geek of the week next week. Real quick thing before we get started, I just want to take a minute because we haven't really done it here lately, but just remind everybody, we got a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. You can like it. You can get involved in the conversation over there. We've also got VIP. You know, yep, you, can, you can find your level of commitment mm-hmm. on VIP, on Patreon and become a Decibel Geek VIP and get all kinds of extra content yep. that the regular listeners aren't getting. Of course, we got Rock and Ron kicking it over there on YouTube with Decibel Geek TV. You know, we got a lot of great friends and a lot of great supporters. Adam Cox on Facebook, keeping things interesting mm-hmm. over there. DecibelGeek.com? Uh, still working on it. Okay, we're still working on DecibelGeek.com, but we'll get that up and rocking again for you real soon. But, of course, Decibel Geek, you can find us on all the places where you get podcasts. So yep. you're always going to be able to keep up with us one way or another. And, uh, yeah, so show some love and support to Rock and Ron and Adam Cox mm-hmm. and, you know, just hang tight. And there are a few of you that listen to the show on the website. And I've I, what I've done is I've been adding the show on Spreaker. So if you go to Spreaker and look up Decibel Geek, you can listen to the new episode there most of you do it on your ipod and everything but if you want to listen to it through a browser go on spreaker and check it out there we will be there yeah we will be there thanks paul it's gonna be awesome so thank you guys as always for supporting the decibel geek podcast and i think i'm ready to be regaled with tales of rock and roll awesomeness how about you looking forward to it let's talk to anthony esposito It's a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, well, thanks for having me on your show. You up in uh, Pennsylvania today? Yeah, uh, just doing some stuff around the ranch. There's always uh, always something to do. <laughs> I'm pulling weeds on the side of a hill right now. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a real rock star life. Yeah, I had to run out and get some uh, 50 to 1 mix for my chainsaw so I could get the job done. <laughs> That's very metal. <laughs> well, yeah, very metal. Well, the guys in Jackal agree with you. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I should get them out here to do some work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cut that tree down, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so um, yeah, Aaron got this set up, and thank you, Aaron, for doing it. Um, but yeah, we're uh, just we're just gonna kind of just go bounce around about your career and you know whatever you want to talk about. Sounds great. Sounds like a plan. Awesome. So I guess start at the very beginning. I mean, where did you grow up? What was your family life like? How did you get into music? You know, where does it all begin for Anthony Esposito? Uh, Adopted only child. Adopted in Brooklyn. uh, Raised in Staten Island. Musically, uh, got my first bass guitar. Well, I started on the upright. 
and like symphonies and stuff at school. And then I got uh, into a band in the seventh grade and uh, just started playing electric bass after that. And uh, I really didn't listen to metal a lot in the beginning. It was mostly punk rock and jazz for me uh, when I was starting out. Uh, a lot of jazz, a lot of, a lot of punk rock. Bands like Clash and the, the Police and the Sex Pistols and the, the Jam and the Buzzcocks and and then uh, first metal band I ever was in was a little band called Lynch Mob, which was uh, pretty funny because I had a, like growing up I really didn't listen to, to, to Priest and Maiden and stuff until later, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I think that had a lot to do with as well the way I play is not really atypical for metal bass guys you know but uh yeah it started on the upright playing in symphonies and stuff and uh one thing led to another and one band led to another and and then brought me to jake <laughs> wow so but so lynch mob's the first metal band you played in like how did you how did your paths cross to where you end up getting that gig so I was playing in a couple bands in New York that weren't really, they weren't rock. They were, they were kind of more police, XTC, kind of like I used to play fretless and a bunch of stuff in it. So my friend was a model for Steven Sprouse, this fashion designer, and he had asked me to help him put a band together for a fashion show and uh, put this band together called Saved by Sacrifice. It was very uh, James Addiction kind of mixed with punk for the fashion show. And um, this A&R guy from Atlantic saw me play in that band, and he was like, you, you need to audition for this band. And he had just signed a band to Atlantic. And I auditioned for that band, and they had like 90 bass players auditioning. It was down between me and one other. And they decided to go with the other person over me. It was like basically the only audition I ever did that I didn't get. And um, it turned out to be good because that band didn't do anything. And um, the publicist from Atlantic, well, they, they had auditioned 90 days players and picked the, the one they picked had done other things. And I was just basically starting out. So uh, he had lived in LA. So they asked me, oh, can you stick around and help us audition drummers? You know, I was like, yeah, sure. So I helped them audition drummers and the publicist thought that was really cool. And uh, so she decided to help me out and she got me a bunch of auditions and Lance Bob had a, happened to be one of them. And that's, that's how I got into that band. Mm, okay. Was there a big audition process for that? Was there a lot of different guys or were you pretty much the one brought in and said, Hey, this is your dude. They had a lot of people audition, you know, but as soon as I got it, there weren't any more, you know, like obviously once, once I was there, it was over. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's a funny story. They say you can get anything you want in New York at any time. And I actually got a tape of other people auditioning for bass for the lynch mob. So when I got off the plane, they picked me up at the airport and, and took me to, cause they were based in Arizona. They took me to Mick's house and it was Mick's birthday weekend party. So we had all these bands fly out from LA and they're all around the pool and hanging out and getting drunk and Mick's like, okay, well, here you go. So the, the way we've been doing it is I'll show you the songs and then we'll go down, you know, at like five or six o'clock and we'll just jam with the, uh, with Oni and George and, and see how you do. So I'm like, okay, cool. And he's like, I'll show you the songs in like an hour. And, you know, so we're drinking, hanging out. It's his birthday party. And he, uh, 
He's like, okay, well, let, let me show you the songs now. And I'm like, oh, it's okay, man. Let's just, you know, just enjoy enjoy your party and don't worry about it. I'm a quick learner. So then another hour goes by. He's like, man, you know, well, let me show you the songs. I'm like, dude, just relax. Don't worry about it. Everything's good. I'm going to be fine. And meanwhile, I know because I already heard the song. So I already <laughs> knew <awesome>. the song. <laughs> so anyway, right? So then, then Mick, Mick's like, you know, it's 4 o'clock, 4.30. He's like, man, it's, it's, it's going to be a waste if I don't show you these songs and we go down there. And it's, I'm going to leave my party, and we're going to go down there, and you're going to completely stink and not know the songs. Let me just show you the changes and stuff. And I'm like, no, I don't worry about it, man. I'll, I'll learn it on the fly down there. So, so we go down there, and we like jam, start jamming. I think Wicked was one of the songs, and Sweet Sister Mercy was one of the songs. And uh, I already knew knew all the changes. And like we're we're just playing, and they start, and I come right in at the right time, and I like do all the, <laughs> the next section comes up, and I I already know what the chord changes, and they look like it was like fate, like I was just incredible uh, intuition on 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 the progressions and wow. stuff, you know. Wow. So I got the gig because I was completely prepared for it, you know. That's amazing. Well, That's genius. <laughs> they're like, what kind of witchcraft is yeah. this bass player, you know, exhibiting? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it was funny. It was really funny. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, and then I went to L.A. and I did a bunch of other auditions. And then I flew back to Lynch Mob uh, in, in Arizona. And on my way back, they were like, oh, you, you got to play with us. And you're an equal member, equal split. Everything's split equally. And it's not a salary gig. And, that's why I, that's why I picked them over the other bands that I auditioned for. So were there uh, cool. were there other known bands that you auditioned for? One of them was Dio. I loved Ronnie. He was great. Mm-hmm. It was like right around Lock Up the Wolves. So when I auditioned for Dio, it was uh, Vinny was playing drums and Rowan was playing guitar, and it was great. And, yeah. And uh, Oni's brother had married uh, Wendy Dio, Ronnie's ex-wife. So Ronnie already knew. He's like, you're going to go with Lynch Mob. I know, I know you're going with them anyway. Because <laughs> him and Oni were talking on the phone or whatever. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. There's no equal split in Dio, I'm sure. <laughs> no, it was a salary gig. Yeah. Uh, and I was only 22 when I did that. You know, right. it was, uh, I was really young. Yeah. Well, uh, with the guys in Lynch Mob, like, uh, what was the, the chemistry like early on? I mean, was it was everybody? Well, I hated Dawkins. I never liked Dawkins. Um I thought George's guitar work and it was great, and 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 I love mixed bit, mixed drumming. I always did, but I, I I don't I never really cared for Don's voice. I never got past it. It was too sweet and syrupy for me. First Lynch Mob tour, we only had one album to draw from, so we did docking stuff, you know. So I learned some of that stuff, which which was kind of, I tried to kind of play it a little bit, a little bit. I dug in a little bit more. But I, I never really dug docking, and and the whole thing was like what I said was like if we're gonna make timeless music. Let's have a timeless image. So I was like, let's not really wear the spandex pants with the wrestling sneakers and the cut T-shirts. And like, let's dress timeless if we're going to create something timeless musically, you know, so that we're presenting it the way that it should be, you know. Mm-hmm. So the image of Lynch Mob changed a bit from docking. You know, there weren't any matching outfits or whatever. Yeah. I suppose that's pretty foresightful because, I mean, it wouldn't be too long after that when that all of a sudden that whole scene and that whole fashion that went along with it wasn't really considered that cool anymore. Yeah, well, we were always lumped in with, like, the Badlands and the King's X and the Cult and that kind of band. We weren't really, like, a hair kind of metal band, you know. But had Wicked come out, you know, obviously if it came out two years earlier, I mean, we released the same year Nevermind came out, so it was kind of... 
the world was changing. So. Yeah. That must have been a crazy thing to live through because of because it, it's like the music industry just got turned on its ear almost overnight during that time. I mean, what was it like going through that at the time? Uh, like I said, I was 22, and I never really was a metal guy anyway. Mm-hmm. So I really... It was all new to me anyway. I was so I was greener than center field in Yankee Stadium on opening day. You know, twenty two years old, I was as happy happy as a pig in shit to be there. And um, I remember the year that Wicked came out. I, I got married and I, and we had a, my son, and it was just like a surreal year for me. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't uh, notice that it was changing that much because I really didn't know what it was like to be in a band when it wasn't changing, you know, like, like I wasn't in docking, so I didn't know, have 10 years of arenas and stadiums under my belt. Um, and we, we asked for some questions from listeners and we got a decent amount of them. So I'm going to read a few of these off. Um, Steve Elliott wanted to know, did you prefer Oni or Robert Mason and Lynch mob? Um, I, I prefer Oni. Uh, I think Oni, uh, Robert's an incredible singer. Oh yeah. Um, but, but Oni's more of a, a, an artist. Oni's got that vibe to me that I, I prefer, you know, like Oni's more of a, an artist stylist, like he's got a vibe and Robert's a great singer. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert can sing anything, but when you're creating stuff, I think I, uh, well, I know I'd rather, I'd prefer to create with Oni. We're, we're more on the same page, kind of more on the same vibe and mood. And, and um, Robert's a machine, though. Robert can sing consistently anything night after night. And when he first joined the band, we actually booked a Hell Tour. Which something I think it was something like 14 or 18 shows in a row because we wanted to burn them out. And um, we wanted to see if he can handle it, and, and the dude got stronger every night. Like nice. he's he's a machine. Yeah, and, and he still sings great, you know. Um, but I think if I had a, I, if I had a pick, it would definitely be Oni. Oni, Oni, and I are more on the same page artistically and, and vibe wise, and we still keep in touch. Like I'll I'll talk to I'll talk to Robert like twice or three times a year. I'll talk to Oni probably twice a month, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Well, on the subject of Lynch Mob, uh, there's uh, several people were asking if there's going to be any possible 30th anniversary Wicked Sensation. No, reunion. never. Um, I won't play with George ever again. No. Um, that ship has sailed. I wanted to do something for the 25th, and I I had contacted George, and I said, hey, it's 25th anniversary of Wicked, and this was when we were still talking, and um, I said, you know, let's get the original band. Let's even get the original crew. Let's go in the studio with Max Norman again. Let's make up a follow-up record that we should have made following up Wicked with Max and Oni. Uh, Max Norman producing and Oni singing and writing. Let's make the follow-up, then let's tour the world once as the original lineup playing all the songs off of Wicked and all the songs off the new album that we just would have done. And let's put it to bed, you know, like that's it, you know, and, uh, everybody was in, everybody was like, I'll do it. I'm there. I'm do it. Or or sound guys from back then or crew guys, everybody, everybody's like, oh, we're in, we're in. And George was the one that said, no, George is the only one that said no. And then stuff after that happened. And, and so I got no time for it now. I don't want, I don't, I don't want to waste, I don't want to spend my life with, with, with George. (laughs) Well, did, did he have any, 
exact reasoning for why he didn't want to do it? I don't know. I have no idea. Hmm. It, it was just a no. No is no, you know? Yeah. Wow. So you can't do it without George Lynch. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you got to have to have him. Um, wow. That's a shame, because that would have been really cool. I mean, you talk about a, a reunion. I mean, you're bringing back the crew and everything. That's a true reunion. Yeah, been- I know. I thought it would have been awesome. It would have been 1990 all over again. Same band, same producer. You know, it would have been great. But he shot it down. So, I don't know. Who knows why. You know, talking about Max Norman, you know, and he's a very revered producer that did a lot of awesome rock stuff in his career. And I know you're a bit of a producer yourself and have worked with many different producers. How does Max Norman rank with you? Oh, he's, well, we we picked him to mix Patina with the Red Dragon stuff because he had done Fark at the Moon with Jake, and I got the pleasure of working with him when we did Wicked. Go to Jake, hey, what about we bring in Max, you know, to mix? That's our... That's our common denominator, you know? And he's like, oh, my God, that would be great. So we had Max come out to the ranch and listen to the songs, how they were progressing. And uh, we hung out, and we actually went to this. I live in the middle of, uh, I live in this town called Dillsburg, Pennsylvania, which is sort of square in the middle between Harrisburg and Gettysburg and New York and Carlisle. And I took uh, Jake and Max to this biker bar that's a barbecue joint biker bar. And we're sitting there. And we're at the bar and we ordered like ribs and stuff and brisket and, you know, barbecue stuff and beer. We're having beers and we're just shooting the shit. And then I remember Max went up to go to the bathroom and Jake got on his phone to call his wife and he went outside to the parking lot. So I saw it as a great opportunity for me to jump on the jukebox and throw Bark at the Moon on. <laughs> <laughs> so I threw Bark at the Moon on, and then Max came back from the uh, the bathroom, and J- Jake came in from the parking lot, and they're just sitting at the bar, and Bark at the Moon's playing. And all these biker guys and women and all this are just shooting pool and singing along to the song. Little do they know that the guy who wrote it and the guy who produced it is sitting like five <laughs> feet away from them. And, uh, awesome. you know, then we just, they just, the two of them started to talk about it, and, you know the making of the album and how they came up with it. And, you know, the, they weren't, neither of them are happy with the mix on it, but, but, uh, it was, it was just fun being, being the fly on the wall here and the two of them talk about that record. Yeah. But yes, I, I totally love Max. Um, I constantly am in contact with him when I'm producing or something. And I'm like, Hey, how did you get that guitar tone on, you know, diary of a madman? And what was your mics and where, how far away were they? And, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm always taking his brain. Cause, and he, awesome. he, you know, he looks at me as like a, a protege of sorts. And like, he's like, all right, try this and then do that. And, you know, and he loves to, to school me, you know. But, um, yeah, of course I look up to him. The guy's, the guy's a legend and, and he's still ultra creative and super talented. And, and he's a great guy, yeah. you know. And I, the, with, to get on to a little bit of the Red Dragon Cartel stuff, um, I actually, that the only time I got to meet you was uh, here in Nashville when you guys played at the Basement East, and uh, uh-huh. I did the uh, the meet and greet before the show, and, and I went back and, and I saw you, and, and, and I said, uh, I said I loved your work with Ace Fraley, and you laughed, and you said, you should tell him that. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Uh, I thought that was funny. Because uh, I got fired, you know? It's like I got fired. I mean, I very rarely get fired. I got fired from that gig and over a case of beer. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of like, 
I hope he hears it from other people that the lineup that we had when I when I was there was pretty fierce. It was know? a fierce lineup. Well, I caught that show when you guys came and played at the Wild Horse in Nashville. You guys were uh-huh. on money that night, you know, so good, you know, and everybody was into it. I really enjoyed that lineup. You know, the, the Anomaly album, I always felt like had some great songs on it, but the production seemed a little too shiny, polished for me, you know. Okay, so that. we started out Anomaly. It was me and Ace. And and Ace was like, I want you to co-write with me. And I'm like, no. I'm like, the more I get involved with the writing, the less is what your fans want to hear. Your fan, you haven't made a solo album in 25 years. I'm like, they want to know where your head's at. They want to know what you're going through right now after this post-reunion disappearing act. And now you're back. And they, they want they want to know. The more that I get involved is going to be the less of what the fans want. So let me, I'll just be your brain and I'll be your funnel, and I'll keep track of all your ideas, and then we'll try, oh, this, this. And he had a bunch of dictaphones from when he was on the Kiss Farewell Tour of, of, of guitar ideas and song ideas. So we would, like, I would map them out on a big chalkboard, and I'd be like, oh, this, let's try this pre-chorus with this chorus with this verse, and then me, him, me and him would hash them out, and then we brought Anton Stig in, and the three of us would just jam and get those songs down, right? Mm-hmm. And then... Um, then we started tracking and I had worked with uh, this engineer, James Cena, who was Jack Douglas's engineer, um, who he did all like the first five Aerosmith records. He did the first two cheap trick records. He did John Lennon records. The guy's a phenomenal, phenomenal engineer. And he had cut the New York dolls record with Jack Douglas in my studio. Mm. So I, I had a good working relationship with Jay. I called Jay and I'm like, Jay, I don't want to engineer this because I'm, I'm playing bass on it. He's like, I'll do it. So we hired Jay. So Jay engineered it, and we did the record. And then I had Thompson and Barbiero mixing the record, the guys who did Appetite for Destruction. And it was like Ace was living upstate New York at the time, and right over the Tapping Sea Bridge is where Thompson and Barbiero were, and they'd mix there and all that. Then something happened where Ace changed management. The record got hijacked. And the record got taken to L.A. They added a cover song to it, which I told Ace, I'm like, enough with the fucking cover songs. I'm like, you're such a great songwriter. People don't want to hear you do another fucking cover. You've done enough, enough covers in your life. You're such a great songwriter. Don't be lazy. Write the songs, you know? And he wrote such incredible songs. Like, I used, I used to love watching him come up with stuff. And um, so the record got hijacked by the new manager, taken to L.A. They did. They added Fox on the run. And then and then they had some other guy mix it. And the mix sounds like shit, you know. And like I, I heard the tracks before they got mixed by the guy in L.A. And I'm like, this sounds like shit. I'm like, the record was ripping. It was in your, it was like like pain in the neck and all of a sudden. And then and then Foxy and Free somehow was it used to be called hard for me. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it got titled Foxy and Flute. And then uh, we had a song, an instrumental on it called Skells. And all of a sudden that became Space Bear. And I was like, what the fuck is going on with this record? You know? So it, it's not as good as it, as it is. It, it got hijacked, taken to LA and ruined, Oh man, which sucks. Cause I thought it was incredible when, when, when Thompson and Barbera were mixing it, the mixes that were coming back, I mean, they had done Tesla. They had done Appetite for oh, Destruction. Yeah. Like, legends. they were great, great mix engineers, you know? 
why would you take it out of those guys' hands? Right, who, who, whose brilliant idea was it to do this? You know, as good, the manager. Can you imagine, you know, how great that album would have sounded <laughs> with the guys yep. that did Appetite for Destruction, you know, the guitar. You could ask that, Ace. You could ask Ace. Wow. Ask Ace. And then you'll, you'll see that I'm, I'm totally speaking the truth. That's ridiculous. Uh, we had Stephen Thompson and Michael Barbero mixing that record. Hmm. And it, would, it was, ugh. And all of a sudden, it, it got taken to L.A., they added the cover song on it, and then the band got left out, and he did some instrumental video, guitar instrumental video with other guys from that Camp Freddy cover band in L.A., and like the, the, the manager kind of just fucked everything up. You wow. Know? Sounds like. Well, I don't. I don't think that guy's working with him anymore. Thankfully, he's not. Yeah. He's not. Yeah. He didn't last very long. But he ruined a great record. Yeah. In the process, so. Sounds like it. Yeah. What's your favorite song off that album? Pain in the Neck. Yeah, that's a good that's one. A good one. Good heart. I like. I like half the record. I think is killer. Mm-hmm. I like. I love. I love Scales, which is now Space Bear, the instrumental. Yeah. I love Pain in the Neck. I love. Well, Foxy and Free when it was hard for me it was great. Genghis Khan is a great song. Like there, there's really good songs on it, you know. Mm-hmm. Half of it, I think. Like I told them, I'm like, you're Ace fucking Freely. You're a guitar god. They want to hear more Parasites, you know. They want to hear that ripping '70s guitar lick that that made you Ace Freely, you know. Yeah. You know, and I think that says a lot for you too, because I think a lot of guys in that situation be like, "Yeah, I'll put my stamp all over this album," but your ego's in. You know how much money I lost in publishing? Yeah, I suppose. My first show I ever saw was was Kiss at Madison Square Garden, nice. and like you know, I know I know what Kiss fans want to hear because uh, I was one, you know. Right. Well, it takes one to know one. Let me go back to this. How how do you lose your job over a case of beer? That's confusing. Well, I was tour managing, and I was well. I was like 17 years sober when I when I met Ace, and then all of a sudden I met. I started. I had a midlife crisis and started dating a young girl and started drinking again. But um, you know, I quit. I don't know when I was 27, and I was like in my 50s when I started drinking again. So it was a totally different head and all that. And I wasn't a, a bumbling idiot or whatever. But I, I did start to drink again. And I just thought it was kind of like I was tour managing, stage managing, doing the merch, putting the van together. So I guess I was a musical director. I did. I wore a lot of hats when I was with Ace, not just playing bass and uh, co-producing and stuff like that. So I think like um, we didn't have any beer and, and, and on the rider. And it was like, so after the show, all the guys in the crew that worked all day would have to go out into the concession stand and buy fucking beer at $7 a cup, you know? And I'm like, that's not cool. Yeah. I'm like, Ace, Ace was leaving right after the last note of the show. He would leave the venue, go back to the hotel, and he was flying to the gigs. And the band and the crew and everybody was on a bus. So we got used to get pizzas during loadout on the bus. So I was like, okay, let me throw a case of beer with the pizzas on the bus. Ace isn't going to be around the bus anyway. He'll never see the beer, so there's no temptation or whatever, which, is, I mean, he's around beer all the time. It's not like it's a temptation. So I didn't think it was a big deal. He was trying to get back in the kiss and thought if Gene and Paul saw a case of beer on the rider that they would think that he was drinking again and he would lose out on being part of the farewell tour. Wait, so so was, I got I got fired. So, so I was like, dude, I understand. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I should have asked. It's totally my bad. I should have asked before I put it on the rider. It's my fault. Yeah. 
But I mean, I got fired over it. And I'm like, dude, like all the shit I do, you don't even give me like a, a warning, you know, slap on the wrist kind of thing. It's a fucking case of beer. Right. So he was trying to get back and kiss, but even back then? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's like 2012, I think, 13. Uh, 2009 or 10, wasn't it? No, but I played with him longer oh, than yeah. that. Oh, yeah. I think, I think my, this was the very end of it. So yeah. it was probably, no, it was probably 2013. Oh, okay. So, but he you, he, he was worried that Paul and Gene were going to see what was on his rider? I suppose. Yeah, that's what he told me. That that's sober. what he told me, and that was the reason why I got canned. Wow. I didn't realize that, that he would even be showing them his rider. I guess, well, it does make sense, though. But somebody could get a hold of him. And I mean, you know, like, yeah. I was, tw- I was not a penny went missing. I was completely anal with Excel files on the merch every night, and after I after I was done gigging, and you know, count out them, then I'd go count the merch and make sure the money was right, and all the merch was. I did so much shit, and it's like, really, you're gonna fire me over a fucking case of beer? Like, come on, man. Mm. That's just, he had to have other reasons. I, I just, I can't, I can't buy that. Right. But whatever, mm. you know, whatever, whatever it is, what it is, you know. Yeah. But but when I was involved, you know, Ace had a show. Mm-hmm. You know, we had walk on music and like you know, backline with blue mirrored plexi on it and backdrops and lighting and and all this. Like we put on a show. It wasn't like showing up with rented gear and just banging out the songs and leaving. You know, like it was a show. You know, mm-hmm. we would wear the the, the flight suits or you know with the lightning bolts on them and yeah, you know, it, it was like. It was a production, you know, yeah. which KISS fans want that, you know, like KISS is the greatest show on earth. And it's like, you know, that doesn't work for an ex-KISS member. Right. So did you have a hand in putting that band together with Ace? Yeah, I, I put the whole band together. Where did you guys find Derek Hawkins? Because that was really the first time I'd ever heard well, of I him. I played in, I know Derek forever in New York and Derek was in Closer. And then Derek and I were in this band called the New Pop Jet together with two of the guys from Sponge. And and I, I knew he was a great guitar player. He had never played in a rock band like that or anything like that before. But I knew he would be a, a good fit and a good team player, and would would love to be part of it. But originally, I had um, I got Coogan because I knew Coogan because Coogan played in this phenomenal band called Violet's Demise, which only had after only um, left or got fired or however you want to know the story or whatever. Um, from Lynch Mob, only had a band with Rowan called Violet's Demise, and we made this incredible record that Atlantic never released. And the record is fucking phenomenal. It, it's one of my favorite records of all time. And um, Coogan played drums on Violet's Demise. And um, then he started to play with Brides of Destruction, and I knew he could sing. So I was like, okay, if we get Coogan to play drums, we could start doing songs like Love Gun and stuff that Paul sings live, you know? Mm-hmm. I was like, the, the most drummers can play Kiss songs, you know? It's not like rocket science. They're not Rush songs, you know? Um, I'm like, the gig is, can you sing like Paul Stanley? Because that's going to add to our options for a set list, you know? And then we do Love Gun and Strutter, and we're adding all these other songs that weren't in Ace's regular live show, you know? Because the drummer could sing Paul parts. And then, so I, I was like, okay, I got Coogan. And then the other original guitar player I had was Jason Hook, who was playing with, uh, at the time, Alice Cooper. Now he's in Five Finger Death Punch. Right. And he wanted to do it so bad. But the um, 
we went in to do the record. We did we did rehearsals, and then we were going to do the Anomaly record, and Ace was going to play all the guitars, and Jason couldn't just sit and wait until the record was done to tour. So Ace, uh, Jason went out with Alice Cooper, and we needed to find another guitar player, and that was when I arranged auditions for like six or seven guitar players. Derek was one of them, and Ace picked Derek. Ace Frehley's always got a great band around him, and that lineup's no different. I really, that's... Mm-hmm damn good lineup he had. And then we had Todd Youth who played with like the Crow Mags and Murphy's Law and he was a New York hardcore punker you know he was another good guitar player. Yeah that's cool. Um, well, so, I mean you had so much that Ace put on you that you did in that band how did you even come across Ace and get that gig? I knew a Hells Angel in New York and he was like you need to meet Ace and Ace needs to meet you and he arranged it. I went up to Ace's house and we just jammed a little bit and sat around and bullshitted and talked and stuff and and uh his friend played drums who was a truck driver and i'm like great my audition for ace is i'm playing drums with this guy who's a truck driver <laughs> and i'm playing through like some i think it was an orange or a red marshall head and it was a 412 cab and and uh i'm like what is this amp it's not a bass amp it's a guitar amp obviously mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah poppy it's uh it's the guitar amp i used on the destroyer tour <laughs> i'm like okay <laughs> so i'm playing my tds through this 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 half stack marshall from the destroyer tour playing with this drummer guy who doesn't know the songs and i was like oh great this is gonna go well this is a good audition <laughs> but we we hit it off we became friends i mean we were friends you know we used to hang out together and go to the Yankee games and ride our Harleys to Yankee games. And we hung out. It was good. It was a good time. I, I, you know, he was a good, good friend to me and at the time. And had he sobered up by that point? Yeah, it was just, get, he was just starting, just so starting. A, like when I first time. met him, he was still drinking. Yeah. And then probably like two months in after I first met him, he had committed to not drinking anymore. Well, that's great. I just, I was like, hey, hey, can we go out? Like, you know, can you do like H3 Red Dragon Cartel run tour? You know, it's like That'd be cool. 70s guitar god with an 80s guitar god kind of thing. And like, it'll be fun. And, and he's just like, nope, no thanks. Oh. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so I guess he doesn't want us opening for him. Yeah. Well, the, uh, but it was cool when you, you came on board with Red Dragon Cartel. Cause like, I mean, as you well know, that band had a lot of, a lot of turnover. Um, it seemed like once the album came it out. It really didn't, though. I hate when people say that. Oh, sorry. Like, how does Lynch Mob get a pass? Like, they have, they've had everybody in the world played in Lynch Mob, and you never hear about that. Well, like, that's true. Like, basically, there was... The original lineup was Jonas, Darren, and uh, Ron playing mm-hmm. bass, and Jake, right? Mm-hmm. Ron was not a bass player, and, and that relationship soured. So Greg came in as a filler... So Jake could honor dates, but Greg had a job and a family and he he supposedly didn't want to tour. And then I came in. So that was just, you know, a placemat kind of thing, I guess. I don't know. And then, and then as far as the drummer goes, we just had Jonas. And then for the new record, we got Phil because the band and the sound was going towards a different direction. Mm -hmm. And then Darren was in the band. And uh, Jake and, and Darren had sort of had this falling out over over something, and they parted ways. And Jake, the, the original booking agent, had booked all these dates that Jake physically is... I mean, you got, have no idea what he goes through to put on a show. 
his back is horrible and his wrist. And like for hours before the show, he's stretching his back. He's got a back roller. He's lying on the tour bus trying to stretch his back out. And then he puts more KT tape on his body before a show than like the King Tut mummy, you know, like it's crazy. So they were booking seven shows in a row on that first Red Dragon run before I was involved. And Jake's like, I can't physically do these dates. Can you please reschedule? I told you. I can only do three in a row, then I need a day off, then two in a row, and I need a day off. Five shows a week is fine, you know? Mm -hmm. So they were booking sevens in a row, and he was like, I can't do it. And then he's like, please cancel them now, because it's going to make me look bad if I can't physically do these. So they were like, oh, let's wait till we get to the dates. And he's like, no, 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 cancel them now so nobody's pissed off and reschedule them. And they waited, and the shows got canceled. So... When I joined in that March, the whole summer was making up shows that got canceled because of Jake's back and wrists, you know? Mm. So we didn't have a singer because Darren and him had had the falling out. So he was like, okay, let's audition these singers live and we can honor these shows and we could see these singers instead of like just showing up for two hours and singing, they could actually come on the road and sing and be on the bus with us and we could actually see if they get along with us and all that. So we gave like these singers like six shows to show us what they got, you know? Wow. And uh, some had more shows than others, and, and we would go on runs with them. But none of them were ever in the band. We've right. only had one singer, technically. Right. But that must have been like a pressure cooker, though, dealing with that. I mean, you're auditioning guys live. That's That's got to be difficult. They, uh, Metal Floods, they called it Red Dragon Carousel, (laughs) (laughs) which we loved. I mean, we were laughing. We were laughing on the bus when we read that. That was awesome. But, uh, no, I mean, you know, they, they had their thing and it was like, we would rehearse, you know, did three rehearsals or two or three rehearsals with them Mm. just to make sure that they knew, you know, the songs and the, the arrangements and stuff like that. And then we'd go out and do eight, 10 shows with them and, whatever it was, and then stop and then have another guy come out and do the next run and go through a couple of rehearsals with him. And, you know, they all had time to prepare and they knew the set list months before, you know? Right. Okay. That's a wild situation. You don't hear the bolt that. Well, well like I mean, that. to the outside world, as a, as just a music fan, it was like, wow, they have a different guy this week and another guy <laughs> the next week. And I mean, but this, come on, let's be honest. Like, 99% of the people that are coming to see us play are coming to see Jakey oh, D. Well, they don't sure, really totally. care about yeah. the band. <laughs> well, I personally... They're not coming to see me, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I did. Well, but it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of, like, it's Jake's. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's not like we're Led Zeppelin replacing Robert Plant. You know? Right. Well, I will say I was bummed that Darren wasn't singing the night I saw you guys. The guy, you, the guy that you had was good, but I really, I mean, I think Darren has a really unique voice, and it's like, but he, I loved his voice on that first record, and I like it on Patina also. But it was mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of bands where the you you could interchange a lot of singers for certain bands, but he actually had a really identifiable voice, which I was I was really impressed with, and. And to get into the Patina record a little bit, you ended up making that at your own studio, right? Yeah, on the ranch <laughs> for a year and a half. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we took our time. Um, we wrote it on the, on the ranch in the studio, and then we recorded it, and then we sent it to Max to mix it. You know. Well, what was the experience like working with Jake e. Lee on a record? It 
was great. I have nothing but the utmost. I respected him going into the process, and I respected him more coming out of the process because, like, I learned so much working with him. He just hears things that I don't hear. Like, he doesn't. He's so musically talented that he's so deep in his vision and his perception of music that he's actually hearing it deeper than most people. And uh, his approach is great. Like, I just, I, I learned so much working with him, you know, which at this point in my career is, is a, a, a blessing, you know, that I, got, I get to work with somebody that good, that he, he uh, stretches me and makes me better, you know? Right. Let me go back to another listener question. Um, what were your thoughts on the last tour? Because the, the guy said, especially after the first show in Reno, I was at that show, and it seemed like everyone was having fun, but then the bus breaks down on your way to the second show in the middle of the desert, and then Phil says he's quitting drumming in a couple of weeks into the, into the tour. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, what, what do you want me to address on that? That was a I, multi-part question. Well, I guess overall, I mean, what was your takeaway from that tour? What went wrong in Reno? Yeah. Um, well, the bus broke down, which, I mean, there are pieces of machinery just like anything else and, and didn't break our spirit any, or we, I, we had to cancel one show, but it wasn't our fault. We were sitting on the side of the road in the middle of the Mojave desert with outside of a meth head. It was like breaking bad kind of town and, uh, it was not safe, but we, we got through it and we didn't, that didn't break our spirit. We laughed about it, you know, a couple of days after it. And I thought the band played really well. I thought the tour was way too short. I think, you know, we made a record, took us a year and a half, and then we toured for a month on it, which I, you know, I would have preferred it to have been the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, like, uh, there's a lot of places that we didn't play, and we were really a good live band, and a lot of people didn't get a chance to see it. Um, Phil, there was the biggest surprise to us sudden that we hear he's retiring um i thought it was bad timing it took some of the focus and distract distracted away from patina that we were working on that we were out there to promote that record and then all of a sudden the some of the focus gets shifted on on phil retiring so i, I thought it was not a very professional thing to do to announce it during that tour or whatever and um but it's his life and it's his situation to create. Here's a good question right here. Got sent in by Michael you know. Edmonds. He says, Anthony, you played with a bunch of great guitar players, but who do you think brings out your best in bass playing out of all of them? Jake, hands down, without a doubt, Jake. Um, like uh, with George, it's kind of like you're just providing a foundation for George to do what he does over. Um, with Ace, it's, always been keep it simple you know with ace but with jake jake is so musical and so creative that it gives you spots to to be creative and and to stretch and do things that you have like i i have never been in a situation where i could do i i obviously could play those things but i was never in a situation where um it was called on for me to play those things Jake, by far, is the the uh, my favorite guitar player to play with. Cool, yeah. Michael says he agrees with you. He thinks you add so much to the groove, and I gotta agree with that. Yeah, yeah. It's... Well, I mean, 
I, I mean, I, I kind of like to think that I do that with everybody. Like with Lynch Mob, we, we ruled in that mid-tempo sexual pump. Uh, like you listen to Wicked and it's all like grindy and, and, and we used to call it Moroccan roll. It's got like a little Bo Diddley bounce to it. And it was very sexual and like borderline Middle Eastern at parts. So with George, it was more of a right hand concentration. And with Jake, it's pretty much both right and left. I get to be more melodic and musical. That's cool. That's good for the artist in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I would always back out. I would always ask him whenever we were writing. We wrote the record live in the room, and it was Jake, myself, and and a drummer, and we would just jam. And Jake would always come up with a part. It all begins and ends with Jake. And I would go, well, what are you hearing against this? You know, like what. Do you want me to drive it? Do you want me to move on it? Do you want me to play like halftime behind the beat? Like how, what are you hearing? What are you envisioning to support what you're doing? And then we would actually talk through it and, and, and work through options and try different drum beats. And, and it was such a great process to be able to do that with somebody that talented. You're obviously going to learn, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, Very what cool. you you know you mentioned that you worked hard and long on the on the album, and then the tour was so short. Why why do you think the tour was was so brief? I don't know. Uh, see, it's it's not a it's not a band, so I don't have any say or anything. So I'm just a, a hired gun. So I, I don't know. That's a question that would be for Jake to answer. Right. But I, 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 there's nothing more that I'd rather do right now than tour. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm sure Jake's like is is had it with me with my texts pretty much weekly. Like, what's going on? Yeah. Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? When are we going out again? What what are we doing? You know? Yeah. Uh, so I I don't know. You know, and well, um, the half the time he doesn't even reply to me. You know, mm. so such a great record, and and it really comes across great live, and and the people that saw us do it live will be the first one to say that it definitely transferred well to the stage you know yeah i'm looking at a lot of these questions that got put in us to ask you and i mean it's it's over and over and over again you know when are you guys going back out when are you guys going back out so anthony you're not the only one wondering what jake wants to do i mean i I want you know and my whole thing would be all right, let's do another video. Like we were talking about doing a video from the song Ink and Water because it's so cool and unique and tells a great story. And um, I was I was like, let's do another video, get momentum back, and try to get on a tour opening for somebody. Like let's open for somebody big. Like like try to get us on an ACDC tour, an Aerosmith tour, or something like that, where we could where we could go out and play to other people's fans. And, and, and expose the band and grow the base rather than just playing to the people that are already have the CD and already know about it, you know? Most people don't even know that, that Jake's playing anymore. Yeah, rock and roll is just not what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It, it is, though. It, it's just at a weird stage right now. Yeah, it's harder to you find. Know? Well, is there anything aside from Red Dragon Cartel that you're currently working on? Oh, I'm always producing. Um... Did a band called Ryder that's really good. Um, I'm, do, I'm doing another band called the War Brothers that are ironically four brothers, two sets of twins, two years apart. 
and uh, they're out of Connecticut, and they're like early Van Halen kind of guitar players, great, and the, the, we're working on songs with them now. And then I'm working on a, an, another thing that's almost more psychedelic furs-ish, and then uh, there's also a band called Dogs of Reason that's very in that, that Skinner Almond Black Crows kind of vibe. But I'm always producing bands. I love producing bands. And I, I love green new bands. Like, I love working with them and, and helping them understand their potential, you know, and how to think about things and and to arrangements. And, and I, I really, any day spent in the studio is a good day for me, you know. Nice. Well, keep us updated but, uh, on that stuff because we're yeah we're Red, with to... Red Dragon. I mean, we just uh, we need to tour more, and that's that's the thing. It's just a big it's a big issue with me, and I really really want to go out and I really want to play, and, and uh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why we're sitting at home and everybody else is is uh, touring. <laughs> it's it's, it's <laughs> too good of a band with too many good songs to let just fade away like that. Yeah, you know what? You know what? The one thing too that's bad about Red Dragon, I think, like I told when when we when Jake renegotiated his recording contract, I would go, I told him I'm like now's a really great time for you to put Red Dragon Cartel to rest and just call it Jakey Lee. I go because Jakey Lee has much more marquee value mm-hmm. to a promoter than Red Dragon Cartel does. So it's like. We're a new band, Red Dragon Cartel. It's not like Lynch Mob or 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 Enough's Enough or or Rat or that you put Rat up on a marquee. The promoters are going to pay that money because they know people are going to see Rat, know Rat, and go see Rat. Um, people have to fuck like kind of dig and find Red Dragon and then figure out, oh, it's Jakey Lee's Red Dragon Cartel. And and I I thought we're we're so we're a new band with a new name, so that when you play like festivals, like M3 or Rocklahoma or what or whatever, even you, you know, you know, Dokken will get headliner even though it's one guy original, whereas you know we're we're at one o'clock on the B stage because we're Red Dragon Cartel. But if we're Jakey Lee, we probably would get main stage. You know, like it's it's a weird situation that we don't have the X marquee name. So are we an old band playing old hits or are we a new band playing new hits? And should we be going out with newer bands like opening for Greta Von Fleet or Rival Sons or somebody like that because we're a new band? We're kind of on this fence and it doesn't seem to benefit us on either side of the fence. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see how that's possible because... Like you said, you know, Jakey e. Lee, that's a, that's a, you know, in, in the world of rock, you know, that's a household name, yeah. you know, legendary. I mean, and I, I thought that that would have done better for the whole thing if he was Jakey e. Lee and the, the promoters probably would have paid more for the live shows for the, for the band. And, um, because I think Jakey e. Lee on the marquee is a better sell than Red Dragon Cartel. Nobody really knows who Red Dragon Cartel is. Right. Wow. And again, Anthony, I think this this really speaks to how your ego's in check. I mean, because most bass players would be like, "No, no, I want to be. It's got to be the band." But you're cool enough to go. You know, honestly, it should be your name up there, and I'm just happy to be here. That's pretty cool. It's it's Jake's band. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, you know, I'm just I'm happy that he lets me be part of it. You know, and 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 be part of the create. Like I wrote all the lyrics and the melodies on the record. Um. 
like I, I get to be part of the creative process and, and part of his vision and, and help him create what's in his brain, what he's hearing, help it like materialize on a CD, you know, like, uh, I love that I'm part and uh, I'm, I'm blessed that I'm part of that, you know? Um, but it is his, his deal. You know, if I went out solo, nobody would come, <laughs> you, you know, me and Chris would be, there. yeah, we would come. We'd be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that thanks guys. <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, but you know what I mean? Right. I mean, sure. it's like, you know, the best, whatever's best for Jake is good for me. You know? Yeah. Right. Well, I hope you guys can get back out on the road because I know there's a lot of people that would want to see you guys. Yeah, I mean, I so want to. I loved playing that run, and I was sick as a dog that whole run, and I still loved. It was so much fun playing those songs and and being around the guys and and you know, like we're we're big hockey fans. We have like center ice package on the tour bus. We watch hockey all the time, and like we're we're like we're, it's like you know you're with your bros and you're hanging out and you're going town to town and playing shows and of music that you created together i mean what's better than that you know yeah right on we're talking to you jake ely red dragon cartels too good <laughs> he knows trust me he's probably so sick of it like i didn't even bring it up he got married like, a couple of weeks ago we went out to nice. vegas um, and uh, we went to his wedding, and, and I didn't even bring it up because I know <laughs> I know he knows what I feel, how I feel about it, and I don't I don't need to say it anymore, you know. Yeah. If anybody has any objections, please stand up. Well, this ain't really an objection; it's just more of a question. Uh, Jake, <laughs> when are we going back on our tour? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's getting it just as much as I am. I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I just I'm still thankful that he came back into the public eye to start with because he was basically yeah. like a mystery for so many years. You know, it was it was awesome to see him come back out with such great product too. I love I loved hearing him play again. And when I went to that show in Nashville. And they had the the white Charvel right there on stage, and I was like, "Wow, that's the guitar!" Yeah. And just yeah, I think also it would have been better if not, uh, if Patina was the first CD right. for his return rather than the thing with all the the different singers on it and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. like I think if if Patina would have came out after he hadn't done anything in fifteen some odd years, I think it would have done well you know yeah, and right. I, the first one definitely should have just been called jakey lee because of all the different right. contributors to it yeah yeah i agree yeah I and, agree. I, and i i read I love that song with robin zander on there yeah that, that feeder that that's feeder. yeah mind blower yeah we closed the set with that that's, that's a great our song. closer well and i and i read in an interview with you that you absolutely love the word patina <laughs> no we were making the record and we're like watching all the DIY network and the, the, you know all the all the home builders that are redoing barnwood builders, and every other word out of their mouth on those shows is patina this, patina that, patina this, and it was like, ah, uh, like I, I kept saying I hate that word. All they keep doing is saying this stupid word over and over and over. If I hear the word patina again, and then we went out to the the local bar. It was this place called Flapjacks, and it was like locals only bar. And we would go after we after we practiced, and we'd go and just have some drinks. And Jake, we were drunk. It was late in the night, and Jake's like, "I, I think I got a name for the CD." And, and I was like, "Really, really?" He's like, "You're not going to like it." And I was like, <laughs> "Like really? Like why?" And he goes, "Well, just just have an open mind when I tell it to you." And I'm like, "Okay." And he goes, "What about Patina?" I was like that fucking word, <laughs> and then and he goes, "No, think about it. Like in in the way our careers are and our musical 
uh, development and then like we're not 20 year olds anymore and we've we've uh, acquired this patina to to our our, our skill and and our, our tone and our our outlooks you know and uh, i was like you know putting it that way it is a great name yeah because it's, it's like great. a like an aged oxidation process that yeah, you see yeah. on furniture and stuff yeah, I mean, and then the brainstorming go. Oh, you should have a patina guitar, and then, and then you know, then everything starts taking off. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, we could do all the band photos at the. the I have a pre-Civil War barn, and mm-hmm. you know, that's where we shot the speed bag video and the Havana video in my barn. And uh, all the photos on the CD are all around the ranch because everything's got patina. Because I mean, the house was like, you know, the properties and the house and the barn and the studios, everything is like mid 1800s you know <sighs> so everything's got patina on it <laughs> but yeah yeah there's that word so, so, so thank you diy network for an album title <laughs> exactly right <laughs> yeah totally that's yeah. awesome who would ever guess that oh man well um this has been a lot of fun getting to talk to you and get your your take on all this stuff um one anytime thing, man yeah. i appreciate it and keep us up to date on what you're working on let us know if you want to come back on and promote anything and um uh, we always give our guests the option of doing a playout song. So, any song from your career that you want us to spend, what would you want us to play? Uh, Havana. All right, Havana nice. off Patina. I'm like I'm like the biggest Philadelphia Flyer fan. Like I don't know if you guys watch hockey or not, but I'm like Flyers. Like I got hooked on them when they were the Broad Street Bullies in the '70s, and I, I never turned back. I was like, so now I live in Pennsylvania. It's nice to have fellow Flyers around, fellow Flyer fans around because. I grew up in like Ranger Central and Islander Central, you know, in New York. But um, we actually contacted the Flyers and tried to get Havana and Speedbag played at their home games when they score goals and stuff. And we're waiting to hear back from the team. Um, it would just be awesome if uh, if they they played, you know, Havana or Speedbag when they were going on the ice or after a goal or whatever, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, Havana, I I I, I loved that song. From the first time that Jake played that riff, I, I just was immediately like, that song kills. You know? nice. Well, Anthony, this has been awesome hanging out with you today. You know, Thanks for the update on everything going on with Red Dragon Cartel and you know, just telling us some cool, awesome stories, man. We'd love to have you on again sometime. And thanks, for, thank you for having me on and helping me promote Katina and getting the word out. Thank you so much.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 